0: Hi everyone, I'm your host Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey everyone, welcome back to OMD Daily. This is the July 10th, 2020 episode, and today I am back with a new set of podcast learning medleys. Um, Three particular podcasts I want to talk about. Three podcast series, I guess, that'd be more accurate because it's kind of a whole, I guess, multi-part um, episode that I listened to. So the first one, this one's actually a singular episode. It was by the journal podcast. I think it's a collaboration with the wall street journal and Gimlet media. So I've been listening to it over the past, um, couple of weeks. And this particular one interested me. It's about, it's titled pro sports are coming back. Can they pull it off? Question mark. I'm not too interested in, I think the, uh, current event kind of things for, news in particular um what I'm interested in or what I was interested in this particular episode was just the difference between the uh I guess organization model um versus the NBA and the MLB the so if you're not familiar it's the National Basketball Association and Major League Baseball so these two are you know arguably part of the two large uh, Major League event uh, sports organizations in the world and with COVID-19 they're looking at reopening and despite both mainly being focused on the U.S. Um, they've taken very different approaches so the NBA have created this kind of unique bubble structure in Disney World where I think all all or nearly all games are going to be played in Disney World um, and all the players and teams are living inside four I think it's three or four hotels inside Disney World whereas the MLB are kind of progressing as kind of um, everything is normal situation where they'll just continue to play throughout the country and just fly at all the various stadiums and what interested me uh, in this podcast was how the relationship with the player association and the companies I'm sorry the team owners aka the sports team companies um, had a lot to do with how they were able to kind of come to agreements and how the current um i guess structure of play was settled out so if you're not familiar with um which i find it's kind of a tangent but it's pretty interesting is how like i think most sports teams in the in north america uh, particular the us follow a salary cap kind of method so the nba i think nhl as well as NFL all have a salary cap so players can only be paid an x amount so there's like a super max kind of contract and so there's always these limits but mlb does not mlb has no salary cap so a baseball player can get paid just i don't know (laughs) the you can the ceiling seems extremely high and it's really up to the team so the team can decide how much they really want to pay the players which is probably why the uh, most profitable and the largest uh, teams that make the most money tend to also get the best players because they can just pay the most. So it's a very capitalistic system, um, which is also quite f- similar to um, the Premier League and just soccer soccer in Europe in general, where I believe they do not have salary caps there either. It's I think it was Malcolm Gladwell or um, someone else pretty smart that noted how it's pretty... it's fascinating how... A capitalistic country like the USA would have sports teams that kind of operate in a kind of socialist manner where they have all these salary cap restrictions, whereas um, predominantly or a continent, Europe, with many kind of countries of socialist tendencies will actually love a sport that is completely capitalistic in nature, like soccer, where there is no salary cap. So I thought that was a pretty that's a pretty interesting thing to consider, given how there's a social structure that people love and abide by, yet they have um, different preferences when it comes to sports. But this leads to how the MLB and, and NBA are different, because I didn't think about it this way before, but this podcast kind of alludes to this very fascinating learning, is that because the NBA players have a salary cap, um, they kind of have to work in tandem with the team owners as well as the league, because... It's Kind of in everyone's best interest for their own team to do well and make more money, but also the league to do well because it's kind of like a revenue sharing model where, because a player's earnings capabilities are limited by, I believe, how well their own team does as well as the NBA organization as a whole, because that's the only way to kind of expand the salary cap collectively, they're all kind of in it together. So there, it's like a lit, it's it's where I think. Incentives are actually aligned with various parties that are involved because, you know, the players have their own association. It's kind of like a union, and the owners have their, you know, owners have their own incentives. But because you're all working to make this collective pie grow, then everyone just gets a share of it. Um, you you end up wanting to come to resolutions faster, and I think that's why the NBA has been able to kind of figure out the reopen plan much effectively compared to the MLB because it seems like the MLB has had more of a messy uh, situation because people just couldn't come to agreements and the commissioner apparently had to step in and kind of incite this old kind of, uh, one of the fine print things inside player contracts where the commissioner kind of can force people to come back to work (laughs) and force players to play. Um, But some players are even still deciding not to play because they don't feel as safe. And it seems like it's just kind of all breaking down. And it's just weird seeing how two two sports leagues uh, sports organizations, leagues operate so differently when they're both at the top tier in the world. And this leads to like the dynamic between these MLB players and the owners where it's rather content- contentious. There's kind of like a competitive rift between the two because their incentives are really not aligned, right? Because now for the players, they always want to get the most amount of money and they know they can get more than they did before, and there's no limitation to how much they can really get, if they're really that good. And for the owners, if they pay out for these large players, and they need them to perform, they need them to play games. Um, because the, what the team gets left, the owner gets left in profits. Really, just comes after all the money that's paid to the players. So when you can, when you have no cap on how much a player makes, how much the owner gets, um, even if you have the best players, even if your company is the most your team's most successful could actually be much less than a more efficiently run team and so it kind of becomes a little like a zero-sum game it doesn't seem like the incentives are actually well aligned like theoretically they could be because you still want the players to do well the team to do well and the owner will do well and so the owner wants to pay up for you know the best players etc but it, they don't really distinctly ha- are in like the same kind of battle together. Like The players can, I think, choose to still not play, um, and they don't really have to think about expanding the pie together um, because they know that they'll always be able to play in a league where um, their salaries are never really limited. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, it's just like a comparative view on how... The structure with aligned incentives can really help when things happen during hard times. I don't think people really care too much about this um, until shit has to fan, And now it's like, okay, well, we're in a time of crisis. And I think it's times like these when these structures kind of come to light. And, and it becomes more obvious that a structure where there is more of a win-win relationship, um, where incentives are actually aligned, like in the NBA, could actually help everyone kind of weather the storm together better. So that was a particular episode that I was particular um interesting point I pulled out from the episode and then the rest of it kind of talks about the actual um i guess conditions and um methods that the the athletes are employing and the NBA is employing to um start the new season and it's pretty interesting on that alone but this was the main thing I wanted to share the next one is so this one's actually a podcast series it's not complete yet but uh for I believe four episodes are out um and so I ended up listening to all of them and got that kind of got me the mindset of starting marathons of these multi-part series is looking to company so the first one this is by the Foundering podcast and it's looking into WeWork and the first four parts kind of focus on the history of the founder Adam Newman, um kind of going over who he is his persona and looking at kind of the early foundations of the company um I've been working out of a WeWork um, as of last year. Like I haven't since the whole COVID era, but I've been working out of that co-working space before. And so I, I was pretty curious and you know, I have friends who work there. And so I kind of talked to them and kind of hear their stories as much as they could share um, in regards to how WeWork was doing, especially during the whole kind of, uh, I guess, quote unquote pulled IPO and the whole kind of soft bank takeover. But It was interesting to get an understanding of who Adam Newman is because I still didn't really understand who he was, learned that he was um, from Israel, and learned more about this idea of a kibbutz, which seems to be an experiment in micro-socialism. I saw a little bit about this, I think, in Conan O'Brien's Netflix episode where he actually travels to Israel, but these kibbutzes are... um, They're it seems like there's these small communities of people who all collectively kind of have their own economy and they earn all this income and they pull it together and then they equally share it amongst the community members. So they've kind of created their own kind of mini utopia. And I think the idea was to create the mini utopia, whether it is that or not, I think it's debatable. Um, But anyhow, apparently Newman's inspiration for WeWork kind of came out from what he calls a failed uh, social experiment in reference to the kibbutz. But I think the podcast does a great job actually sending people to Israel and kind of really just fact-checking Newman's story. Um, And there definitely are some mismatches where Newman kind of talks about how um, he's had this wonderful childhood and how he had all these fond memories of Israel, but it turns out the people in the community really didn't really pay much attention to him. He was kind of bullied. He wasn't really well-liked at all. Um, And he kind of was just kind of stuck out, apparently, as a kind of like a sore thumb in a sense. Um, also learned that prior to WeWork, Newman actually dropped out of college um, and started two companies before WeWork. One was a high-heel company, which even the idea just sounds ridiculous. And then the second one was like a baby clothing brand, which and he kind of coins that both companies failed because he was passionate in it. Um, and yeah, I just kind of learned a little more about who Adam Newman might be, like this kind of person who walks around New York barefoot, um, goes into elevators without a t-shirt on, like just topless. And turns out he's also married to, I believe, Gwyneth Paltrow's sister. I don't know why that's super important, but um, I think given the the, uh, controversy or kind of um, contrasting views people have about Gwyneth Paltrow and her company Goop, um, to also learn that her sister was is this kind of mindfulness, mindfulness practitioner who was a traitor on Wall Street, kind of puts things into perspective of who also Adam Neumann might be and why he ha- why he might also have this kind of, uh, you know, he also presents this kind of messiah complex where it seems like throughout the podcast series, Adam Newman constantly portrays himself kind of like a godlike figure. And there's a bit of narcissism, I think, that is... Um, percolated in his demeanor and how he views the world um so I think that was pretty fascinating I think the first few episodes of the podcast series dig into that and gives you an idea of the kind of persona he would be um it's it's just weird I just I think I personally have a negative bias against um CEOs who like to brag about not studying in university and just partying really hard and just trying to pick up girls and trying to sneak into clubs um, I the fact that Adam Newman was very vocal in sharing those kinds of stories makes me really question his um, ability as a founder. Not to stereotype people, but it's just not my cup of tea um, if I were to ever invest in a founder. But anyhow, the podcast kind of goes deeper, and they do a great great job actually in I think um, interviewing people who actually work at WeWork. Um, some stories are I think better than others, and I think it also It's also a factor of, I think, the life experience that people have. So one thing that was pretty interesting is how we were focused on hiring people who were kind of new out of college. And so they hired a lot of young people. And maybe it worked well with creating this kind of young vibe facade. But at the same time, you have a lot of these people who are naive and they don't really know what the quote unquote um, proper way of working would be like if they've never worked in like a big company or you know, these kind of training ground companies like Goldman Sachs or any of the big four accounting firms or the big three consulting firms, like it's when you're trained out there, you have a different view of what is quote unquote considered normal and are the standards of um, big company operations. But if you don't know any of that and just kind of hired out of school, what you believe is normal is kind of what you see at, big fast-growing company like WeWork, which tends to get its legitimacy from the investors that invest in it and just kind of the size and the kind of media attention that it gets. And it seems like that's how the company kind of thrived. And that's the kind of weird culture that developed um, organically from the early days. And it's a a culture of just youthfulness, which is amazing. And I think that's why I like working out of WeWork as well. But it's also one of kind of excessive partying, um, like one of the community managers I think or, or the leaders there talk about times where you'd find like used condom wrappers inside meditation rooms or just people just passing out drunk and there's all these like crazy stories about um, facilities that open up without bathrooms so then <laughs> they would have to um, ask like the coffee shop downstairs to allow all their users uh, members to use the bathroom there or like uh, we WeWork that um, didn't have a door for a long time, so they had twenty four seven security um, guarding the in, the office front because they didn't have a door, and all these kinds of weird stories. And I personally felt that there's definitely an angle where, well, it's a fast growing company, and there are many times when there are going to be hiccups. Um, but I guess you know, you, there's always two sides to the coin, and in one aspect, as a customer it can be kind of considered unacceptable at times but at the same time I can kind of um, empathize with yeah well when you're fast growing a lot of things can go wrong but yeah there's all these other things like how I think they they had kegs and you know beer on tap without actually having a liquor license which definitely is irresponsible and it's kind of this idea I think that's perpetuated in the company of just continuously focusing on doing things cheap and fast instead of um, doing things quote-unquote in the right way and the podcast does a great job, actually going through various stories of the company where they continuously made decisions to focus on being cheap and fast, and how it doesn't pan out so well. Um, and there's all these kind of issues internally as well with kind of it seems kind of a hectic work environment. That you know, like apparently, like Adam Newman was very vocal in how he purposely pays people less than market, and it's because he wants people who want to stay in the mission. Um, and there's kind of this kind of cult-like brainwashing thing. Like they have these meetings called like, "Thank God it's Monday," but you're forced to take all these tequila shots, and you're kind of incentivized to get drunk on a Monday, which it just seems it's just a very obsessive need to party and a focus on that. Like how they spend every every year they spend two million dollars on some massive party or something. Um, that has become a tradition. It. I don't know, for me it kind of rubbed me off the wrong way as well um and I don't think the podcast particularly forces a negative bias or a negative angle on the company although I think some stories if I were to think about it I felt um like there's I think there are many complaints about the company kind of overworking people and not paying people overtime. I thought those were kind of oh, okay well it's it's just how it is like I've it might just be from my background as well but i've never considered like oh yeah like of course you should be paid overtime if you work 100 hours a week i always thought well isn't that just kind of normal uh, <laughs> and it just might be my own background in that but yeah i thought some people were kind of complaining a little too much about the company culture um in terms of just the idea of just overworking and working too hard but then again that might be because of just my own bias so Some parts there kind of, I think, took away from the credibility of what the company culture is actually like. Um, But at the same time, there was definitely, I think, specific facts that made me go, wow, this! how did this company ever actually become so big? And we're still, I think, in the early parts of the series where we haven't kind of hit the troubling parts for the company yet. But you're just constantly seeing this idea of just... Excessive growth, excessive use of cash, um to create this image. I think one particular thing that was fascinating is this thing called active uh, I think activation or something. Um it's it was code to forcibly make people have parties on WeWork floors, um, especially when Adam Neumann was taking investors on a tour of WeWork to just showcase this really vibrant kind of hip place and all these unsuspecting uh investors were from the old quote-unquote world with suit and ties you know it, it, it looks sexy they want to be part of it and apparently it was highly effective in convincing investors to invest in WeWork and look at how amazing it is so i thought that was also pretty fascinating that they actually had a code word for that and actually focus on like these kind of amazing marketing tactics to convince people and kind of create this um illusion and kind of fomo of yeah you really want to be part of this you don't want to miss out and you have no idea what this is like and yeah i think those are very interesting parts of how the company continue to get more investor money and continue to grow so yeah i would really recommend checking this podcast series out it's pretty well done um and i'm waiting for the new uh part five to come out i think it's a weekly thing uh, or bi-weekly thing so looking forward to that and Another series I looked into. This is by it's it's by the Business Wars podcast. Um, oh, so before I go on, I I have all the links to the actual podcast episodes in my show notes, so check it out. So the first one uh, is called the Journal podcast by Wall Street Journal and Gimlet, and the second one is the Foundering podcast, and that's by Bloomberg. And then the th- third one I'm going to talk about is called the Business Wars podcast by uh, Wondery, and this one I. L- they have a lot of these series, this particular podcast called Business Wars, and I have a bunch that I've bookmarked to listen in on the future, so they might make their way into the future podcast medley um, episodes. But this particular one is a seven part series I listened to with Uber versus Lyft. Um, lately, I've been pretty curious about the, I guess, I was looking into Uber Eats and the um, food delivery market, so I guess it's kind of followed along the trend and I saw it, so I figured I'd kind of. Start listening to it and ended up listening to the entire seven parts it's i think it kind of does a pretty decent job um telling the full story of the two companies comparatively like how they're how they started looking at the persona of each of the founders of the company it doesn't really go too deep into the culture of the organization which is why i initially got interested in it because one of the episodes was titled The the culture of um uber and lyft but I think you can kind of get an idea of the culture of the organizations through who the founders are, um, which was kind of my experience. So I think the few things that were very interesting um, is how I didn't know this, but apparently Lyft was the first company that actually started the peer-to-peer um, driving, drive-sharing model. So I thought it was Uber, but it turns out when Uber started, they were called Uber Cab or Uber Taxi, and they actually recruited taxi drivers, like licensed um, drivers, And it was all focused on this kind of more um, upper-class luxury service, whereas Lyft focused from the get-go on peer-to-peer driving, which was fascinating because the whole time you listen to the series, you just get the impression um, that Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, was extremely, uh, or co-founder of Uber, was extremely aggressive and very ruthless, and he constantly kind of attacks Lyft and calls him a clone and just copying Uber and riding on Uber's coattails, where it makes me actually think that, well, isn't Uber actually copying Lyft because Lyft started with the peer-to-peer driving model and then Uber ended up copying it to just allow anyone to drive, um, for anyone to become an Uber driver. So I think that was pretty fascinating to learn about. It was interesting to learn also that Uber's co-founder started because um, I forget I forget their names, but one of the co-founders had a mission to, had a kind of more a personal, personal mission that was more focused on creating more environmentally friendly transportation. And that's kind of one of the ideas behind Lyft. So, and that's this continuous mission, it seems, that's kind of constantly brought forth by the founders and they constantly have that kind of vision uh, where Lyft will actually help create a more environmentally friendly transportation system. Whereas Uber start kind of happened because I think the co-founders, um, Travis Ka- Kalanick and Gary Camp were kind of snubbed from a, like a black car um, service. And so they wanted their own higher end kind of luxury um like black car service so they started uber so it's a very different kind of founding story and mission focus where one whereas one is focused on the greater social impact and the other is more on being sleek fancy luxury kind of having your own personal driver and that whole uh, feel of being a wealthy individual so i thought that was very different and i think that is a pretty good look into why the culture is very different and how the companies portray themselves. Like Lyft continuously, I think, goes down the uh, road of being very politically correct, very friendly, um, this kind of more vibrant and open uh, company compared to Uber, which focuses on, you know, this even their logo and apparently their office decor is, you know, black, sleek. And that kind of leads, I think, stems from the founders especially uh, Travis Kalanick's tactics of being a very ruthless and aggressive uh, leader. And what's also been fascinating is how I remember there was a lot of legal issue with Uber and Lyft um, because of, you know, this whole ride-sharing thing wasn't, I I don't think it's really in legal codes, and so people really didn't know how to react to it. And I remember there's a lot of issue with um, when Uber first entered into Canada and it had to pull out from certain cities and go back into certain cities. And what what part, one particular episode looks deep into Kalanick's past as an entrepreneur. And it turns out Uber is his third company. He had two companies prior to. And uh, kind of a unifying theme with all of his companies is that they're all questionable in a legal and ethics standpoint. Like his first company uh, was... Built on the idea of making just helping people download music illegally, I don't know how that was ever considered a good idea to make into a business. But um, like they got funding for it, and but the whole business was was illegal. And so I think they ended up getting sued for like two hundred fifty million dollars by all the major record labels. And so that went that went belly up. And I think the second one continued to tackle the music industry. Although I think he tried to make it a little more legal, but people still wouldn't touch it. Um, like the investors wouldn't, and then I think there was there were even cases where, like apparently he would not pay like taxes um, f- for the company, and they would use all that tax money to just reinvest into the company, which kind of hints once again the e- ethical drama of everything. Um, and he ends up I think somehow convincing Akamai uh, to buy out the business. So then with that he ends up starting Uber, but once again Uber their ethics and legality is questionable um, because I think the common story that I remember hearing is that Uber just kind of makes their way, brute forces their their way into various cities and they deal with the law after. And there's a lot of weird, sketchy things about Uber that I didn't know. Like, for example, apparently Uber would kind of crash all these uh, events that Lyft would host so that they can... They would kind of um, try to pull Lyft drivers away from Lyft and make them into Uber drivers. And um, it's just very unclassy things that they, these kind of tactics they do. Um, They'd also kind of pay Lyft drivers in cash. Like they just give them cash to just become Uber drivers instead. Um, They would make all these their own Uber drivers call Lyft orders and cancel them immediately to discourage Lyft drivers and make the platform seem uh, negative. They apparently also breached Apple's... uh, data privacy I guess regulations so apparently per Apple um, if you had an app and you'd canceled it then the your own data can't be collected anymore so if I had an Uber app and I uh, deleted it off my phone then you know Uber's not supposed to be able to collect any data on me but apparently Uber continued collecting data on users that uh, deleted Uber from their phones and they did it without Apple knowing and like Kalanick gets in trouble with Tim Cook, and I just thought just the fact that they would do that um, makes them even sound sketchier. And apparently, they would even flag accounts of um, transit authorities who are trying to catch Uber drivers um, driving illegally in their cities. And apparently, yeah, Uber would flag them and um, make sure that their Uber drivers never pick those people up. Apparently Uber even paid off hackers' money to hide a data breach um, that the hackers did to Uber where they, I think, breached 57 million user data. It's all, all, These are just examples in the whole seven-part series that goes into depth about all this stuff, explaining it in detail better than I can. But just on a high level, I just got this overwhelming impression that this is a very sketchy company that's just kind of bandaging things every which way. Uh, and, I, and I get that you have to be a fast-growing company. I get that... Um, Larger processes are not in place. However, I still believe that doing the right thing makes sense. Um, and yeah, maybe Uber never would have been this company, the company that it is now, creating this kind of huge consumer surplus, at least to my own life and to people around, um, if it didn't do these things. But at the same time, it kind of makes you go, hmm, yeah, like it's, it's a very questionable company. Um, And once again, they they resemble WeWork in that they have this very big tech bro culture. They spend $25 million on these massive parties like in Vegas. They get Beyonce to come. They get um, Beyonce and Jay-Z to become like investors in Uber by just giving them all this stock as payment for singing and performing at their like corporate events. It, It just seems so... I don't know what's the right word for it, but just irresponsible it's kind of like a bunch of kids running a company and it maybe this means that i probably won't be a fun ceo or leader to ever work for because i just think it's such a waste of money to have all these extravagant parties and i might be you know um, old in those ways because of that but i just think it's just such irresponsible use of capital um to believe that these parties actually make a difference in people coming to your company and even wanting to attract people who want that in your company, I think um, sends the wrong message. But overall, I think this is a pretty fascinating um, series. It doesn't go, I think, as deep into the actual organizational elements, um, like the business element. It still focuses, I think, on the high level of um, things that are newsworthy. So I think you have to kind of take things with a grain of salt in one aspect. Um, They're trying to make you know, it's. It, I felt like the series kind of still focused on like the shiny parts, the things that were newsworthy. That um, it still felt like kind of pulled away from the substance of well, what is the business model? Like, how are they actually making money and all that? They do talk about it, but not in not as in depth as, as I personally would have liked. But still, I think it's a. It was a pretty cool overview of understanding the battle that these two p- companies went through um, and what they were kind of like to each other from the perspective of the two founders, which I think was pretty fascinating. Um, I think a couple of things I don't want to end off with. Uh, well, actually one particular thing that I want to end off with is just fascinating, especially during the COVID time of how th- there there is a view I think in investors where you, you prefer a company with focus You prefer a company with focus, especially when they're growing, so that they focus on this kind of this uh, singular product, like a mono product company, Um, and they tend to, quote unquote, do well or better than companies that are more spread out um, because their attention is divided. But because of COVID, Lyft ended up actually becoming penalized for being a mono product company because now ride sharing is kind of dead, at least for this time period. And Uber was able to pivot and focus entirely on their Uber Eats business, which some people criticized early on as oh they're so divided but now it's actually making uber much more um i guess at least they can still earn revenue whereas lyft will struggle harder so i thought that was pretty interesting um where i think that's later shared in like the later parts of the series but just inseminating that thought in my mind of oh yeah right that's something pretty interesting interesting to consider um even when analyzing companies where if it's a monoproduct company you really have to try to consider well how resilient could the business model be like you could never have i think predicted a pandemic where people just stopped ride sharing entirely but these are always risks that exist and it can just become additional data sets to keep in mind for the future so yeah that's kind of it for the podcast medley um i know it's a bit of a A rant on my thoughts on these podcasts as well as a bit on like what I learned that was cool and yeah I hope this was interesting high level stuff like I'm not um, taking any responsibility of the work that these podcasts did like did put in all the work so if you really want to learn you should really check it out Um, the links are all on my show notes and yeah these were pretty interesting I think they would be entertaining for you as well and hope this was an entertaining high level overview so yeah thanks for tuning in and take care hope to have you back on the podcast tomorrow